There's a captivating dream that one day humanity will colonize the entire solar system. We'll have cloud cities on Venus, moon holidays, asteroid mining operations, as well as fantastic cavernous architecture on Mars, which is unconstrained by the strength of Earth's gravitational field. Before we can make this dream a reality, though, we first have to work out how we're going to be feeding the thousands of Martians and Venusians who will be living hundreds of millions of miles away from Earth on planets with toxic soil under extreme temperatures, pressures, and fluctuating solar radiation. So how are we going to feed everyone? I think one of the most exciting possibilities will be to use plants for food and oxygen generation, coupled with mushrooms, bacteria, and other organisms that are able to break down human waste to produce nutrients for the plants to use, so as to create a closed-loop, self-sustaining system. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Daniel Schubert from the German Aerospace Center. Daniel is a leader of the Eden Initiative, which is a project to develop bioregenerative life support systems for use in hostile and alien environments. We discuss building trial greenhouse systems in Antarctica, the unexpected challenges of growing plants in extreme environments, building economically viable space colonies, the value of space exploration, future plans for spacefaring systems, environmental destruction, and the future of humanity. I hope you enjoy. Escaped Sapiens so recently in the news, there's been quite a lot of interest in SpaceX, for example, rocket development, that sort of thing. But it seems, at least in the media, there's less interest when it comes to life support systems and what actually happens once we land and once we are trying to set up some sort of uh, presence, more permanent presence. And that sort of mirrors what happened in the moon landings as well, because there was people were fixed to the screens there was huge interest in, in the actual landings. But as soon as people landed, sort of interest and funding dried up. Um, and, and we never set up a, a full presence on the moon, right? So it's, it's sort of like going to Rome or Paris and just ticking it off your box without visiting the Colosseum or, or the Eiffel Tower. So the first thing I'm sort of curious about is why do you think it is that we have this skewed interest when it comes to the actual transit? And how did you become interested in life support systems uh, specifically? Me personally, you mean? Yeah. Well, this, this already happens when I was uh, 10 years old and I was on a flea market and I, 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 I saw an old magazine uh, or it was that time it was not so, so old. And it was showing the, the Biosphere 2 project. I don't know if you have heard yeah. about the Biosphere 2 project. And I was really, really fascinated seeing this those biospheres, those biomes uh, on another planet. Uh, it was just a rendering, uh, an, an artist impression, but I was really completely drawn away by this, having this, this small, closed uh, and, and enclosed uh, nat natural habitat, basically, where, where, where with a lake and, and, and trees and everything. So I, I was totally blown away by that. And, and that actually, this idea was in my mind for, for a long time. And then I studied, of course, became an um, aerospace engineer. And, and then I, I revisit this idea, like what do we do when we are on another planet, when we are on Mars or on moon? And I'm not talking about this, uh, this Apollo style missions, like where touch down, do some research, and then three days later, you, you, you fly back, uh, like, like really a settlement when you have exchanging crews, people are on the surface living there. And then you, you really have to think about how do you provide them resources like water, mm -hmm. oxygen, and so on and so on? And, and that's where I came in, uh, where I said, like, yeah, let's, let's try to do that uh, with, a, with a greenhouse system uh, and, and, and try to provide them all the necessary resources that they need with a combined, let's say, a biological system. 
Why? So until now, of course, the system, the life support systems that have been in place have all been mechanical or electrical or chemical. Why is yeah. it that now people are starting to switch to this idea of uh, these life support systems that are closed, that involve animals? And is it that the technology is there or is it that the missions are just different? Like now we're really thinking about colonization. Yeah, it's not really that it started now. It, it has already started uh, decades ago. I mean, uh, biological life support systems are in the engineer's mind for, for, for 50, 60 years already. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's not really a new thing. Uh, and, well, the thing is, because we, we always looked at mission scenarios, uh, let's say, in low Earth orbit, like the International Space Station, which is really like only 450 kilometers uh, uh, in orbit. So that's really near. Uh, but we are now starting to think about long duration spaceflight missions, like going to moon, staying there, going to Mars, even more further away. And there, uh, the idea about resources and uh, resupply becoming more and more, let's say, essential. And that's why the idea comes more to the idea, okay, are we doing this with physical chemical life support systems or are we doing this with uh, biological life support systems? And uh, it, it seems to be that we will have most likely both. So we will have a hybrid system. We will have physical chemical systems as a backbone if something goes wrong, as a, as a backup, so to say. And then we have on top the biological system. So, mm. so a redundancy will be there, of course. But so what's the what's the state of the art? So if you look at the International Space Station, uh, for, for instance, are they they're doing water recycling, right? What else do they are they how, how closed loop is that system and how wasteful is it compared to what you want to produce? It is it is uh, relatively close, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, um, physical chemical life support systems are quite good in in, let's say, uh, transferring uh, uh, or transforming uh, CO2 carbon dioxide into oxygen, O2. Uh, so that, that's relatively good. Water recovery you can do quite easily with a, f- a physical chemical uh, life support system. So um, during processing, like all the wastewater streams are also relatively uh, good uh, organized by, by the systems that you have on the, on the space station. But if it comes to food, fresh food, and mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's where the the basically where where physical chemical systems are stopping. So there, really, you need a biological life support systems, uh, like for example algae reactors, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, or or some sort of I don't know uh, silkworms for for protein production, or a greenhouse uh, for all the vegetarian uh, um, food supply that you want to provide. But so what's the, what's the say, say, for example, all of your experiments go to plan and, and all your prototyping works and we end up in 2030, 2040 with your ideal setup. What, what does that look like? Just, just to give a big picture before going into the details. Well, uh, you, you mean what, what we are envisioning? What is our, mm-hmm. our idea where we want to go? Well, right now we are, we're developing um, a greenhouse uh, demonstrator. Uh, it, it basically it's a space system, uh, but basically uh, with a lower cost. So we are not really using space uh, uh, hardware, uh, but more like like uh, an analog, so to say. Um, the greenhouse that we have envisioned should already be designed in that manner that it actually can be placed uh, on the moon surface. So we really want to create a, a greenhouse system that can provide. Uh, a, a certain type of diet to the astronauts. And uh, this is the big picture. 
Um, we have a dual use approach. You could you could mention you can uh, name it like this. It means first it's going to be a cargo module, uh, a cargo module packed with all the the, the soft bags that consumables for the astronauts like I don't know like. Uh, uh, also food, for example, but also uh, other other supplies, everything that you need when you're on the, on the surface and doing um, exploration uh, tasks. So the first is going to be a, a cargo module, and then once the the cargo is basically distributed in inside the habitat and the cargo module is empty, the system will transform into into a greenhouse system. Mm -hmm. So and then we have a second life of that module, which will then be. Uh, uh, providing would really a greenhouse module that provides uh, food, oxygen, and water recycling capabilities. And uh, okay, in the big picture, to come to the big picture, is that there will not be only one module attached, one cargo module transformed into greenhouse, but perhaps one, two, three, ten, fifteen, all of them greenhouse modules. And something that so can scale, so you can have a bigger and bigger yeah, and a bigger presence. Exactly. So it's going to be a, a so the idea is later on having a habitat where you have, I don't know, 15 greenhouse modules uh, that have been all been, uh, um, let's say, cargo modules in their first life, mm -hmm. now producing food for the, for the astronauts as well. Why, why do you think it's going to be hybrid uh, in the end? You mentioned at the start that it's not going to be pure, just biobased. Yeah, well, well in, in the space business, you're, you're always, you always want to be very safe very secure. Right. Uh, um, you don't want to risk the lives of the astronauts. And um, it, when it comes to, to a life support system, you, you, you're building in technology uh, redundancies. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to build your redundancy on, on two technologies that are the same, because if there is a, a problem with uh, one technology, uh, and, and the same technology as a redundancy could be the same problem. So uh, it's better to, to base your redundancy on, on completely different principles mm -hmm. so having the, the the biological life support system uh, let's say as the main system and then having the physical chemical life support system as a backbone as a, as a redundant system comes there quite handy because they completely rely on different uh, uh, principles if, if you if you were to if you were to run off a purely biological system and you were just going to look at the food output uh, from plants and also the oxygen output are those matched for a single person or do you produce too much oxygen or not enough oxygen when it, as compared to the amount of food that you need for an individual person yeah this is a little bit of a problem the the, the whole control the controlling of the system is, is is not so easy with biological systems because you have your your algae reactor that that where all the algaes, they need food, otherwise they, they, you, you get some problems. So you have to control, let's say, the, the inputs and outputs. Uh, and that is not, and controlling the outputs is sometimes not so easy for biological systems. Uh, could it be the, the algae reactors, but also the waste management system with all the bacterias that are processing our, our let's say, feces and urine, everything that, that astronauts uh, give away or humans give away. So. They need to be controlled, and this is not so easy with biological systems. So that is something that's why we're still doing a lot of research in that area to, to really understand how those systems are behaving, how can we control them, uh, how can we make them uh, more reliable. I suppose also as the system scales, this would become easier right if you have a very small system and one of your animals dies or <laughs> yeah. and that's a huge percentage of the the but so yeah. 
Do you produce too much oxygen or not enough oxygen per kilogram of food or? Um, it's basically, the, it depends. It depends. It depends on the cultivar. It depends on the, what kind of crops are you cultivating. Uh, it depends on the, on the environmental conditions that you give the plants, uh, light conditions, uh, the nutrients that you give. Uh, the environment, the, the humidity. So there are so many, let's say, factors that are involved in uh, um, in, in 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 this process in order to come to to how much you actually produce an oxygen. If you're uh, if you basically consider a small greenhouse like mm -hmm. the one that we're considering for, let's say, an early mission type, like. I would envision this for the next 20 years, for example. So relatively small habitat, very small greenhouse system, only producing uh, uh, fresh vegetables. Uh, we call them pick and eat. So you can really pick them and you eat them directly without post-processing. If you consider those types of, of, of greenhouse systems, um, they will not be able to produce enough oxygen for the crew. So here you really need to have uh, uh, let's say a physical chemical system that works together with the with the greenhouse system, um, buffering uh, the output of the greenhouse system and vice versa. So, um, since the the physical chemical system you can control quite easily by switching on off or or doing other measurements, uh, the the physical chemical system will always look at the biological system and will basically add up or, or go down with the production depending on on the on the on the biological life support system mm -hmm. or the greenhouse in that sense where the real input there is then power i suppose yeah 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 i i suppose if you were producing too much oxygen then you can start adding animals into the system like insects or fish or something like that to do breakdown of waste or um things along the is that something you're thinking about eventually is this going to be just purely plant-based or are you also hoping to have higher organisms in there as well? Yeah, this is a tricky question. To be honest, within the next, uh, let's say, decades, I would not foresee uh, any uh, uh, any animals uh, in the life support system. There might be some, some silkworms. Uh, the Chinese uh, partners are doing a lot of research in that, uh, in, at the University of Baihang, for example. Um, so, yeah, could be, could be, but... The thing is, uh, with respect to, to meat production or protein production, there, there's this new development of artificial meat. And I think mm -hmm. this, this might really become, uh, let's say, a, a, um, a system that, that could be implemented mm -hmm. uh, in, in a sort of, let's say, a small bioreactor that you feed with uh, certain types of, of ingredients and then it basically grows your, your piece of meat that you then can actually eat. So I, I think that's more likely going to be uh, the solution instead of uh, having, let's say, a chicken somewhere uh, <laughs> uh, 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 feeding with your biomass. Just to, to, to give you an example, I think uh, the, uh, the, the development will more go into this direction uh, mm -hmm. than having really animals with you. Just because of the complexity yeah. of having to look after the animals while you're up yeah. there. Yeah, or, or also you have to see animals need oxygen as well. So you have another another living form that, that let's say, consumes your, your precious uh, um, uh, oxygen in, in the system. Uh, it also has waste streams that you have to process. Uh, uh, okay, you can feed, let's say, the inedible biomass of your greenhouse 
to the to the to the livestock, but uh, I, I I don't know. It's 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 really far fetched. Uh, we should be very careful envisioning it. Let's say it this way: first, let's get the greenhouse up and running, mm-hmm. and then we can think about something else. Because it, we know how plants grow in space, right? Do, do plants grow more or less the same, or, or are there restrictions on what you can grow up there? What sort of tests have been done already? Yeah, well, there, there have been plenty of tests. Since the, the 60s, there are plant experiments uh, in one way or the other uh, in space. Um, you have, um, they grow. That, that is good. So they grow not as, let's say, as good as, uh, uh, as on Earth. Uh, so plants like to have gravity. They, mm-hmm. they, they just like that. Um, if, if you're looking into microgravity or, or, or zero gravity, uh, this is not so good it, just in general to, to create, let's say, the, the perfect environment for a plant to grow. It's always, I always say it's always good that the, the trop is falling from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. If it does not do that, it's not really good for the plants. Uh, having, if the plant does not really know where it's up and down, uh, it usually switches to the next sensory impulse, which is light. Mm-hmm. And then it, it the plant grows towards the light and where it is dark, the roots go to. So mm-hmm. this could be upside down or whatsoever. Um, what we consider in our research group here at the German Aerospace Center is uh, we only uh, look at planetary greenhouse systems. So, mm-hmm. so transit uh, or, or, or greenhouse systems that could be implemented in a spacecraft that goes from Earth to, to, uh, to Mars, for example, we don't look at into this because mm-hmm. we say uh, microgravity is, is, is difficult to manage. Uh, all the systems, pumps, lighting system, it's very, very difficult to, to produce plants in microgravity. So we really consider uh, Moon and Mars where you have low gravity, mm-hmm. uh, um, less gravity than on Earth, but you still have the drop still falls from top to, to bottom. So mm-hmm. that's good. And the assumption is that, I mean, we probably have no tests on the moon, right, when it comes to growing plants. So no. I'm, I imagine that the, it's just an assumption at this point that that'll be some, they'll perform somewhere in between how they do in microgravity and, and on Earth. Yeah, yeah. So there, there have been a, t- a small test by the Chinese uh, 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 space agency a couple of years ago with respect to uh, growing plants on, on, on the moon surface. But the, as far as I know, it was not successful, that, that experiment, as far as I know. Yeah, but that's not worrying because it's just one small. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so what, you're using aeroponics, right? You're, what, so that's, that's where you spray the roots with uh, some sort of uh, feedstock uh, on a routine basis. What, what, what yeah. is that? Yeah, well, basically, you, you have, uh, let's say, plant trays, like light, tight compartments. And uh, you have the plant uh, 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 basically fixated on top of this plant tray or this root tray. And then the roots are in this light tight compartment and you have spray nozzles all around it. And every five minutes, roughly, uh, we spray a, a nutrient solution uh, towards the, the, um, the roots. And it's basically like a mist uh, uh, inside this root uh, compartment. and. Uh, a mist like a, a with the nutrients uh, droplets, nutrient solution droplets, and a lot of air, and this is very, very, very uh, beneficial for the for the roots and for the environment of the roots, uh, because it can also take up 
oxygen and so it's it's really a an, an very perfect environment and that's like, like that's what you call the soilless cultivation principle aeroponics is it does the technology already exist to take human waste and the biomass waste from the plants themselves and turn it into the feedstock uh, in those sort of systems or does that also need to be developed before you can implement a closed loop solution uh, so trend yeah the, so there are a couple of physical chemical systems to to like incineration, for example, where you just burn up everything at high temperatures and pressures. Um, but there's also the possibility to um, to biological decompose uh, the bio waste uh, that you have in order to produce new uh, nutrient solution that you can then give to the to the to the plants. Um, there are a couple of developments. You have bacteria uh, um, bioreactors that can do that. Um, there are uh, trickling down filters where you have lava rocks in, in, a, in a tube and you just uh, let it circulate uh, through that. And then on the surface of those lava rocks, there are a lot of communities of different types of bacteria and they decompose basically your, your bio uh, waste stream. Uh, could be urine, feces, uh, uh, leftovers from meals, uh, mm -hmm. inedible biomass shredded down. Uh, so all different types. And that solution that comes down, uh, you can basically give uh, to the plants uh, as a nutrient solution. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple of, of, of challenges, of course. Uh, for example, it's that the solution is way too salty. So we have to find a way to get out the salt because we humans eat way too much salt and, and, and that is something you have to get out of, uh, um, uh, of this Newton solution. So uh, people at DLR are working on that, not my group, but at the, uh, at the Institute of Biomedical um, Issues, not issues, that's a Russian one, of aerospace medicine, sorry. They, they, they work on that. I guess a simple solution would just be feed people less salt. But in, in, in space, your sense of taste is actually worse, right? So yeah. that's yes. probably not preferred by the astronauts. No, so so they they take a lot of salt and a lot of Tabasco uh, to actually <laughs> taste uh, something. Yeah, it will hopefully be a little bit better on the moon and on Mars, where you have some sort of gravity. So mm. it might be that your taste on the moon is a little bit better than in space. Uh, but that is something we have to. I don't know. Could ask some of the Apollo astronauts how that was, but. We have to see it on long term. I mean, look, all our experience that we have on uh, being on another planet or another moon or whatsoever uh, is, is basically limited to, to a couple of days. That's mm -hmm. it. We, like from lessons learned. So, so it, it, it's really time that we are spending more than a couple of days on a surface to get much more experience on, on how the actual life is going to be on, on another planet. Like from all different aspects, like, for example, how to grow plants or how the food will really taste there. I guess this is why you started off by doing analog systems, right? You, you started off by designing and building these systems uh, in the Antarctic, right? Exactly, How, exactly. Why, what do you... So one thing I was a bit curious about is when, when you actually have your greenhouse built whether it's in Antarctica or whether it's in Germany, say inside, like the actual environment that you're making is the same. So I'm, I'm guessing in those analog systems, you're, th how the plants grow is not the primary interest. It's more the system that you're looking at. So what, yeah. what, what can't you test in Germany that you need to go to Antarctica for? Exactly, exactly. 
So uh, as you might know, so we, we went with our greenhouse system to the Neumeyer Station 3, which is uh, the German uh, research station in Antarctica. So Germany has one station in Antarctica and that's, that's Neumeyer 3. And um, we, that's like a typical question. Why, why you don't just test all your stuff uh, in, the, in the backyard of your institute? Why the, the, the burden to go to Antarctica? You did that so, as well, right? <laughs> we, we did that as well, yes. We had a, a, one, a half a year testing phase in our lab uh, in front of the institute. So we did that as well. And then when we were sure that everything worked, we brought it to, uh, to, to Antarctica. Now, the thing is, uh, we wanted to see not only how the system reacts uh, um, to an extreme environment, but also how uh, humans in the loop are there. So, so you have, you have your, your system, we wanted to test, how is it to grow in an extreme environment uh, like Antarctica, foods like, like, like our vegetables that we have foreseen. Uh, we wanted to see how is the um, how do the the systems perform? How much crew time do you actually need uh, to to basically produce this uh, those types of crops? So so that was important. Of course, all the different systems we looked at to like uh, how is the air management system is running, the nutrient delivery system, light system. So all the different systems were were investigated, um, and then we wanted to look at what's the impact of fresh crops towards. Uh, an isolated crew like in Antarctica. So the crew there is, is completely isolated from basically from March to December, roughly at that time frame, they're completely isolated. So there's no, no airplane, no, no aircraft going in there. No ship is coming. They're completely rely, have to rely on, their, on themselves. So, and, and, and the crew size is around 10 people. Mm-hmm. This is relatively similar to an early mission to Mars. So right now we are foreseen to send six people to, to the surface. Uh, uh, we have 10 people in Antarctica overwintering. So this is almost the same, same crew size. So that's, uh, that's good enough for us. And then the, all those harsh environments, you have a complete darkness for a couple of weeks. You have temperatures that can go down to minus 50 degrees Celsius. So it's really, really cold, uh, we, um, uh, snowstorms, whiteouts. So it's really a complete uh, extreme environment. They are completely isolated. And what is really what you cannot at all simulate here in, in, in Bremen, where our institute is located, uh, it's real. It's 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 an actually life-threatening situation. If some if I was there when we built up the system and and when they gave us a small fire of course introduction at the beginning, and they said, guys, as the station leader said, if it's burning, it burns until you put out the fire. There is no fireman coming. There is no first aid coming. There is no helicopter coming. It burns until you do something. So you have to take care. You have to take care about the whole situation. So, so this, this was really like the first time when we said, okay, there's no police coming, no fire work, uh, firefighters. You're really on your own. This is, uh, this is something that you cannot simulate uh, uh, um, here in, in, in Germany or in Europe in general. And and it's getting even further now when they are when they are isolated. It's even more extreme because then even no plane, even if somebody gets hurt at the Neumann station, they they have a surgeon, they have an ICU there, so they cut you open. There's the the station leader is a surgeon. 
he he will cut you open. He will he will do surgery on you. Uh, so that's how how extreme it is, and that's what we wanted to simulate, and then to see how plants are interacting or what kind of impact does a greenhouse system have towards an isolated crew. What what does it, say for example the Neumeier the German research station burnt to the ground and you couldn't save it. Uh, what is the plan then? Do you do you have transport? You go across the next station, the Russian station, or whatever's next door. I I, I don't know. Uh, um, I hope nobody from Avi is uh, watching this now. Uh, I don't know where, where the next station is. Um, I think it's a uh, it's roughly a uh, seven hundred kilometers away, as far as I know. So quite far. Um, I thought you landed that, at the Russian state. I was reading up on uh, yeah, your trip. Yeah, that's in a couple of thousand kilometers away. Oh, I see. So, so okay. Yeah, yeah. So first, you land on the on the Russian station, but I think the next. I I don't know where the next station is. Well, but uh, just to give you an um, so there is um, it, it says Neumeier three. So there were Neumeier one and two, and there are a couple of containers left from the Neumeier two station. And they have built, I think, a couple of kilometers away from the Neumeier Station 3, they have built, uh, um, let's say, an alpha base. So uh, mm -hmm. there are like, I think, I, I've never visited it. I only heard about that. They There they have a couple of um, containers and living quarters and, and, and uh, generators. And that is basically the fallback strategy. So if something like that happens, well, God for sake, I hope not. But then they have, let's say, a second base where they can go for, let's say, emergency purposes to, to let's say, wait till rescue comes. I guess you could later. have also gone and hidden in your greenhouse. Uh, you could you could do that. Uh, the only thing is the greenhouse is connected to the station. So if the, the power. power goes off, then uh, the greenhouse is doomed. For those who are watching, I'll put up some pictures of the greenhouse. It's on stilts. Why do you put them on stilts? Is that so that it doesn't melt into the... Because uh, you're out on the sea no. ice, right? No. We are on the sea ice. That's correct. No, the reason is quite... Uh, uh, it's logic. Uh, we have every year, we have around two to three meters of new snow in, in mm -hmm. Antarctica where the station is located. And this snow is not going away. It stays there. And the next year, you have another three meters of new snow on top of that. So what the platform actually is doing, uh, it actually can moves up. So, oh. so, so every year, everything in the station has to go up by, by three meters every year. If it does not do that, after a couple of years, it will be buried under snow. Do the, so, do the so stilts extend or they move up? Themselves. No, it's 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 a funny question because I always ask how do I do that. It's very simple. Um, so you see, you have those four pillars, and they always put another sticks on it, like one point five meter metal pillars on top of that. They screw them together, so and then they lift basically the whole platform higher, yeah. and then it's good for another year. But they have to do that every year. So every year the platform has to be lifted up by three meters. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so you have the four pillars, you put four sticks on it, the yeah. same fashion, yeah. and then you move. So basically, after 10, 15, 20 years, you have like 30 meters of, of, of metal pillars in, hmm. in the snow. Then you're very sturdy. Yeah, 
exactly. Does does the so, CIS sheet, they, they leave that? Yeah. Does it also move out as well? Does the CIS? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the whole station is moving, moving okay. towards the sea ice. Uh, I don't know when it will be reaching the sea ice, but I think before that the station has to be built down again, which mm -hmm. will happen. So it will be built down again. And that happens uh, with the Neumeier because that's a huge station, right? As well, it is. It is. It is a huge station. Yeah. No, no, no. The, the whole, and that has to do something with the Antarctic Treaty that all the nations in the world have signed, or most of them, is that whatever you build up in the Antarctica, you have to build down again when you mm -hmm. leave or when you do something else. So do they have big cranes? How did you get the greenhouse onto the sea ice to start with? Well, we had a, we had a, a, um, we had a, a ship basically coming from, from Cape Town. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it was a... Um, South African research vessel, the Agalis 2, and they basically transported the two containers uh, on the sea ice, and we came with our piston bullies, and then we we, 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 we moved it basically to the station, and then we, we started the, the building up phase. But I mean, do you, did you lift it up under the stilts with a crane, or you just have all nine of you? <laughs> no, I mean, no, this no, thing's they, heavy, right? They have, they have cranes. Yeah, yeah, 10 tons or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they have cranes there that they they use for for lifting uh, heavy things. They yeah. have all they have all different types of of heavy machinery there. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah. So did did you have special training? Did did you learn how to do the firefighting and uh, first aid? And did you have to shoot no. a penguin or what? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I not me, but the, all the overwinters they have to do that. So mm -hmm. those people, this 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 crew of nine or ten people, they actually uh, got the, the the special treatment with the courses and firefighting course, first aid, survival training in the Alps. So they have the whole the whole thing. So as a as a private citizen, I can't just go there, even if I have billions of dollars. I, st I still need to take the training. How much does it cost to go to overwinter? Uh, well, actually, it's 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 not. Uh, that's true. The the station is. Uh, it's not for civilians. It's it's yeah. basically you you need to have a research. Uh, uh, you have to submit a research proposal to actually go to the station. Yeah. So uh, um, um, you cannot go as a private person. That is not possible. Um, uh, it, it is quite expensive. Oh, well, was it? It's relatively. Relative, um, you have to fly to Cape Town, then from Cape Town to the Russian station uh, with an Illusion uh, um, aircraft, and then from there with smaller machines to to the station. So it's quite a journey to can go. It can take up to one up to up to 10, 15 days to okay. actually go to Antarctica because you have to wait for the right weather conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, so that if there is a storm, you have, you just have to wait until the storm is over. That can sometimes take a couple of days. Uh, uh, so so it it really can take up a couple of days, uh, up to weeks to to actually reach the station. And how did the German and the Russian stations compare? Did you get a chance to explore both? Yeah, yeah. Actually, on my on my last trip to Antarctica, on my way out, uh, we were stuck in uh, uh, in at the Russian station for seven days. So I I, uh, I I lived then. I had I was lucky because there is a runway, uh, which is just a, a couple of containers and the actual airplane and, and the tower, and then uh, a couple of kilometers away there is the actual uh, the actual uh, um, 
research station, uh, which is in an oasis. It's really like a small basin uh, where surprisingly, surprisingly, there is a, even a water lake and stones. Yeah. Uh, so it's really it, it, it's 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 interesting. Uh, that's where the Russian station is, and uh, I had the luck to be, to stay there, but <laughs> it was funny. We they, we had no shower for seven days. <laughs> we were just living there. On the last day out, they they get us into uh, into a sauna, uh, a Russian yeah. sauna, so we we could we could wash again before we went yeah. into civilization again. But that was interesting. Uh, it was uh, Russian station is. Uh, interesting uh, experience you were more smelly there than <laughs> no not sm- yeah we were smelly yeah more than, <laughs> uh, than the russians uh, because they had their shower um now it was it it is an extreme environment you have to say that it's really an extreme extreme environment so so what were you able to produce so your your station you you set it up and you set it up some distance away right from the from the neumeyer 400 meters or something like this yeah and yeah. and you had someone there who who was who was it a student who was producing the food um when as in uh when you because you went there to set up the station right and then someone yeah, yeah. remained ah well. yeah yeah well one of my colleagues uh, uh was staying there and overwintering there in the first mm-hmm. mission uh, that was the first year, the prime, the, the first initial year, basically, some of our team uh, uh, stayed there. The following years, uh, we had two so-called Delta missions where uh, the, the overwinterers, so there was nobody from us there, but an over, the overwinterers who were there, they basically uh, organized the, the production of the greenhouse, uh, the mm-hmm. production of food. Uh, remotely controlled by us from the mission control center that we have here in, in Bremen. And uh, the, the fourth mission, which we are now in, we have again a, a scientist there, which is Jess Buncheck uh, from, from NASA, Kennedy Space Center. And she's overwintering right now and is actually doing the, the, the operation uh, there in the container. Is this the first time ever that a station has had year-round greens? Uh, locally produced uh, and to the quantity that that you're able to produce. Yeah, yeah, they had no green stuff before that. So uh, you're popular. Uh, well, they like it. Let's say it this way, as far as I have heard, uh, uh, it, it's it's they welcome the the fresh production. Um, we have plans to to pump up everything, so we want to create perhaps a greenhouse system inside the station. As, let's say as a successor of the of the Eden ISS greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we are. I, I think uh, they have seen the the benefits of producing fresh crops inside the station. I mean, you have to see it on 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 contrary. How how was it solved before that? We 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 flew in. Uh, um, the, the, let's say letters and cucumbers from Cape Town, mm-hmm. which is also not really that sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to fly basically thousands of kilometers uh, to supply, and and of course the freshness is also going down uh, every day. And as you have heard, so sometimes uh, it takes a couple of days, perhaps sometimes weeks, to actually reach the station. As as so the the fresh food from Cape Town takes a couple of weeks. So sometimes mm-hmm. the stuff that arrives at the station is is not really uh, that fresh anymore. It goes straight to waste potentially. Yeah, well, that's something that you learn at the station. You you don't waste stuff. You use, like, let's say, uh, a pepper uh, that you would perhaps throw away here in Europe. You don't throw away there. So you really use, even if it's a little bit, let's say, 
not so shiny anymore, <laughs> you still eat it because it is really it's a it, it had a long time and you 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 really want to use everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that is similar to space because you most likely will also really use all the resources that you're producing or that you get as a resupply. Even that is again a, an analog. So uh, the Antarctic station is really a, an extreme analog towards future stations on moon and Mars. And we can learn so much from Antarctic stations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so it makes economic sense then for you to stay, uh, for the um, greenhouse to stay and produce locally from now on, essentially. Well, perhaps not completely, perhaps not a hundred percent diet. I mean, that is, that is, uh, uh, um, that's science fiction. Um, no, but we can at least add a little bit to the, to the menu, uh, yeah. perhaps 20% or so. Uh, that is already something. No. So how, how much were you producing so far uh, when you were overwintering? What percentage of the diet of those nine people were you able to produce? Because it's the size of two shipping containers or something like this, right? That you Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a 40-foot container, basically. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it's basically so that they have every day uh, a fresh uh, salad or side dish or, or something in their meal, uh, in their meals is, is basically uh, coming from the greenhouse. Which is already substantial when it comes to, so if you yeah. just imagine, so that's probably enough for say two people to survive a hundred percent or. Uh, I don't know. Could be uh, perhaps, perhaps not completely. It, it, it also, it also, because we are really looking more on the pick and eat crops. Mm-hmm. So, so if you really want to have a hundred percent diet, you really need to go into those carbohydrates like, like, wheat and, and, and potatoes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that we are not producing at all because that will we will also never produce on Moon and Mars, for example. This is something mm-hmm. which is a complete misunderstanding uh, uh, if you really think that you will, at least in the early mission scenarios, so in the early habitat scenarios for the, I would say the next 50 years, we will never produce rice, wheat, mm-hmm. uh, potatoes, uh, uh, in on moon that does not just make sense um we will transport uh, wheat for example as flour you can you can store indefinitely mm-hmm. more or less uh, you 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 it's so complicated to produce uh flour you have to harvest you have to dry it you have to separate uh, uh everything then you have to 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 produce the flour, it's it's a complicated post processing process. So it's much easier to bring that from Earth. Then you have your pick and eat crops from your greenhouse, and then you combine the the mm-hmm. bulk mm-hmm. supply from the Earth and your fresh stuff into a ready to eat uh, meal. So basically, the rule of thumb is pasta from Earth, tomatoes from greenhouse. But why not That's... potatoes then? Uh, potatoes uh, is basically a potato powder. Uh, is also okay. you can indefinitely store. Uh, it, it's it's. I mean, of course, a fresh potato uh, steamed is of course a luxury thing, and you might produce a couple of them, but not as a as a. You know the the you would should for the I say for the first missions, yeah, mm-hmm. for the first couple of decades, I, I would not foresee that. Yeah, and I, I suppose yeah, padded lettuce not not a thing. The- yeah. <laughs> So, so um, yeah. One of the reasons why I was curious to ask whether it was economical because is because I'm interested in spin-offs. So, I mean, I, I imagine that 
Antarctica is the place to test whether it's going to be economically viable. Are, are you? Is there sort of technology coming out of this that can be implemented on Earth, or are you really focused primarily on on the space mission? Well, primarily it is for space missions. I mean, we're doing spaces, and we want to create a greenhouse module for Moon and Mars. So our main goal is really uh, space greenhouses. Um, so that's the primary goal. Um, of course, there are there were existing a lot of spin-offs. I mean, we could do a, a full show only about spin-offs uh, if we want to. Um, the most prominent, uh, always, if you look at all the different systems, is of course vertical farming, uh, uh, which is uh, a lot of startup companies are, are popping up all over the world, uh, uh, basically producing fresh crops more or less independently from from the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so similar to our greenhouse systems that we have foreseen for Moon and Mars, uh, but now inside, a, a, let's say, a highly populated area like uh, mega cities, Beijing, Tokyo, for example, mm -hmm. could be possible uh, areas. So you see that already now. So there are a lot of companies and, and the industry sector is really pumping up. Um, but also not only uh, highly populated areas, it could be also in desert. So, so in, mm -hmm. in areas that are hostile to open field agriculture, that's where you can basically uh, uh, produce uh, independently uh, uh, fresh crops. Uh, and you do that with those so-called controlled environment agriculture technologies. And we call them always uh, CEA, controlled environment agriculture. Mm -hmm. So CEA technologies, uh, like the LED light, uh, the nutrient delivery, the, this aeroponics, uh, um, water recovery systems. So all those, those are those typical, let's say, controlled environment agriculture technologies or CEA technologies. And that's, that's a big spin-off, using those CEA technologies here on Earth. Uh, in my research group, we, we always have a slogan. Uh, we say, design for space used on earth so so we do that for space but we want to actually use it here on earth and uh, yeah that's that's what that's one big uh, uh, aspect and there are a couple of more i mean you can think about how you can manipulate uh, the growth of a tomato plant only by by giving her uh, the plant different types of of light spectrum uh, and different sorts of, of nutrient solutions. You can you can create big tomatoes, small potatoes, uh, uh, tomatoes. Sorry, you can you can really um, you can manipulate the crops mm -hmm. to your desired outcome, basically without uh, a gene modification. Yeah, we were just talking about you give a certain light spectrum to the plant and, and different types of, of nutrients. Are you also considering GMOs, though? No, 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 not in our research. We're we're not. We 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 That's have just... enough enough challenges. We don't need another one. <laughs> is that is the challenge there? Though really, in Europe, it's hard to do research on GMOs, right? This is a uh, yeah, yeah. Europe is not doing it. No, I in see. General, <laughs> this is a mindset thing. <laughs> so, so did you have uh, when? So you, you designed this. Uh, this greenhouse for Antarctica, and then you built the thing up. Have you had any anything that was just a complete surprise that just jumped out and you really didn't plan for? Like, what, what are the what are the key things that you've actually learned on the ground there? Oh, also, there's a full document about this. Uh, lessons learned from Antarctica. Um, one thing that uh, that I always like, and it has al almost a philosophical uh, approach to it, is we we. Um, that could be a, a quick story. So 
we 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 started our nutrient solution tank in when we when we ramped up the the greenhouse at the beginning we put in the small crops uh, uh, there was seedlings and everything everything was nice and then we went back to the station and then two three days later we came back to the greenhouse and we we opened the nutrient tank and it was smelly it was really like awful smelling we we're like oh shit what's going on here so the whole nutrient solution was really like turning over. So there was some bacteria in there basically exploding. There was foam on, on, on top of the, of the black solution tank. We were really like, oh, oh man, this is not good. So what did we do? We, we, um, we were young and unexperienced. We, we pulled out everything. We started to clean through all the pipes. We, we used chlorine. We really wiped everything clean. We were really like, oh, okay, now it needs to be sterile again. So let's start again the process. So we put again water in there, nutrient solutions, new seeds. So really it took us like basically five days to restart the whole system. So we, we closed it. Three days later, we opened up bubbles smelling. We're like, oh no, it's happening again. <laughs> what, what were you doing wrong? So we were really desolate. We were really yeah, um, disappointed and we, the motivation was really down. We're like, oh, we're getting panic a little bit. Something is wrong. What's what's happening? So so something something was growing in our system that shouldn't go there. Uh, so so um, what do we do? So what happened is we we pumped up our ozone generator to to keep it basically down to mm -hmm. to some extent but it was still smelly a little bit and we just the the the, the crops were not really bothered by that so they they were just, they were growing well it was more like our understanding of our of a sterile and grow environment uh, that we were bothered by this smell so we said okay it, we, we tried it out a second time and it came again so let's just let it let it run we, we have no other choice so we let let it do it and the, yet now comes the interesting part after a couple of weeks, when the, the greenhouse was full, the canopies was grown up, uh, the, 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 the salads was big, everything was, the, the greenhouse was completely full. The whole situation disappeared. The, the, okay. the nutrient solution was clean again. We we're like, oh, what's, what's going on? What, what's, what, what have we done? So our, our, we have not really completely understood what happened, but what we think what happened is that something like a biome was building up like a like an ecosystem of different mm -hmm. types of, of of bacterias competing with each other so that not one bacteria can explode the whole system like we had at the beginning when it was very sterile then we had all those different roots the, the root zones of all the different crops and the crops were also let's say uh, counteracting towards the bacteria they had their mm. own biological mechanisms to counteract certain types of pathogens so so there was really like an ecosystem slowly building up and that was stable and that actually healed this let's say smelly the smelly situation so lessons learned don't think that you can do it sterile you have to live with dirt and 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 you have to learn you, you should not try to make it sterile and clean you should learn to live with uh, that there are a lot of other microorganisms that that are in your system and 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 if there is some dirt or some spores and some fungus somewhere that's fine this is biology that's that's it's not really a, a big issue it might still that's, be pretty terrifying in space though when you're starting up uh 
Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I think uh, when we do, uh, when we start with our biological systems, um, we have to think, we have to live with that. We have to mm-hmm. come up with the solutions or a mindset to scope with that. Uh, I know, for example, if they find uh, a fungus on the ISS, they, they, it's like uh, alarm one, because they're right. Uh, a bacteria can can um, uh, can grow up to forty times faster than on Earth. So yes, really? that is true. Yeah, that's, why? Uh, it's uh, it has to do with uh, zero gravity. Somehow this this uh, can basically accelerate the the reproduction uh, growth rate. Uh, so. That's a reason why they really, really uh, keep it. Uh, uh, and of course, microgravity, you don't want to have spores uh, floating around mm-hmm. the ISS. This is not really a, a nice thing. Um, but for Moon and Mars, and when we implement biological systems, we have to come up with a new mindset that we will have dirty, it's, let's say, dirty biological systems. So, and that, that's okay, basically. That's, mm. that's what we have to come up so in the, in the current system, the current system is absolutely not closed loop, right? So how, how did you, what sort of tests were you doing to it's, see? It's in, it's in a way, you mean the ISS? Well, no, 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 the not ISS. the ISS, oh. not the, the, oh, okay. in, in Antarctica. So, ah, so okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an open loop. So, so how are you, are you testing the oxygen that's coming off? The, are you, how are you, how are you testing for the next stage where you are going to be building closed loop systems? Yeah, so 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 the idea is with those te- the the test demonstrator that we are building or that we are designing right now for which will be located here in Bremen, so that will not be in the Antarctic, uh, but we, which will have already all the systems that we actually also foresee for space. Here we will do exact measurements of oxygen production and uh, water recycling capabilities and so on and so on. Uh, we have not done that in Antarctica because the research focus was set on on other, let's say on other objectives uh, than on, on, on the oxygen production. Mm-hmm. We, have, uh, we have CO2 that we have injected into the system, though that's fine, but uh, we have not really measured the, the exact amount of oxygen that we can get out of such a system. I see. So you have a, the next design is going to be in Bremen. So, so what, what does that look like? Are you going to also be testing this in a sort of a realistic, are you locking someone in there for a year or what? No, no, no. It, it, it will be just a greenhouse system. We will have some sort of airlock where it can go in and out mm-hmm. uh, so that you have an air, uh, airtight system. But it will not be some like a habitat where people will live and counteract with the crops. So it will will be more like a, a test demonstrator for us to test the systems uh, that actually if they work or not. Are you also going to be introducing automation to this new generation? I imagine it's quite time intensive, right? To be looking after, uh, is it is it one person full time or? Um... Uh, it, it, well, you need roughly one person. Uh, that you definitely are yeah, roughly one person uh, to to cultivate such a big system. We were looking into a robotic arm uh, with a with an artificial intelligence that that can perform some routine tasks like monitoring the crops, uh, cutting away some dead leaves, perhaps even harvest tasks. So so we are looking into into this type of automation. Um, but this is just the beginning. We're just starting with that project. And and how do you account for gravity? Is there any, do, do you sort of, uh, are you going to have to change the nozzle size when you get to, you know, of your sprayers or something like this when you get to the moon? Or how are you accounting for that in this sort of a test run where you're doing everything on Earth? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is still this is also basically uh, the idea that we are looking into. Um, for microgravity is extreme. We are really hoping uh, that since we're really building for for planetary base uh, or surface base, and let's say this way, uh, that we um, that we really have similar challenges like on Earth. As soon as you go microgravity, the the, the game changes completely. Uh, um, it already it's, if you go on microgravity and you you don't have proper air movement around the plant, you you uh, let's say you have still no no air movement for example, you don't have convection. So so the the, the leaf if you if you consider my plant as a leaf, and and on on the bottom um, there are those stomata openings where the the the, the leaf is basically exhaling uh, the oxygen that it produces, and if there is no air movement. You have like a, an, an air bubble around the leaf with complete pure oxygen. Yeah. But it also, the, the plant also needs CO2, which it also takes up through the same hole uh, on the bottom. But the, the, the CO2 cannot reach anymore to, to the stomata opening because there's this oxygen bubble around the leaf. So, so you have you really have to have an air movement, otherwise it does not work. So gravity does that naturally, I guess. On the ISS yeah. or somewhere in microgravity, you just have a fan mm -hmm. or something. But but it's those type of things that you have to keep in mind when you when you're designing a space greenhouse. I see. And and are you when you're thinking of deploying this, is this going to go in the Falcon Nine or the Starship or yeah. do, so no, the geometry no. is fixed to one of these vehicles? Right, right now we are we are basing our design on a Falcon Nine launch system uh starship sure perfect uh we still have to we're still preparing an attempt to talk to to the spacex people because we really would like to know some key facts about uh what's the 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 to the surface capability of, of the starship so and what's the opening of the of the cargo hall hatch so that we can actually start let's say designing our 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 systems toward the starship design but right now we're, we're basically going to 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 falcon 9 which is uh which we always say if it, it can fly on falcon 9 but it could for sure fly on on the starship yeah, and i guess falcon 9 is also more or less guaranteed i mean that's uh that's yeah. an existing system it's existing exactly exactly so that's why it's based on, on falcon 9 in the current system, sorry, in the system that you're setting up now uh, as a prototyping for going to the moon, you, have you already set up a recycling system for the waste product and this sort of thing, or is that not part of this? Uh... Well, in in the in the current design for our greenhouse for the for the moon, we have one element where we can actually uh, recycle urine. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a small recycling facility inside the greenhouse integrated. That can actually process urine as well, so so it's not only a greenhouse system, or actually it's a cargo at the at the beginning. It's a cargo mm -hmm. module, then it's a greenhouse system, but it's not only a greenhouse system. It's actually a life support system, so it can actually transform a certain amount of urine to give it to the plants as a, uh, as as nutrient solution. Mm -hmm. But I guess when and it that's comes where to... you close the cycle. Mm -hmm. yeah. But so, but so, like for when it comes to phosphorus and nitrogen, these things, I guess when it comes to the feedstock for the plants, that's also something that can be sent in powdered form, and then you just mix it with water, and so it's not a big. Yeah, yeah, you can put that in in powder form or in in, in solid crystals. Um, 
but it, I mean, the, the holy grail is really to use the resources mm -hmm. from the from the habitat later on. But it will be, as I, again, it will be a hybrid solution. So we will have some salts to top up our nutrient solution with some uh, uh, macromolecules or uh, micronutrients. Uh, so, so we are working on that, but we will have also, let's say, uh, some, let's say, base solution, uh, or not base, no, 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 a baseline solution from, from the habitat, from urine, for example. And I guess at the end of the day, you have just these modularized solutions, right? So say, for example, you set up your greenhouse to start with. When that's shown to be working, you can always shoot another module uh, to the moon, which deals specifically yeah. with waste, I suppose. For example, yes. Okay, so so what's what's the I, I want to sort of uh, wrap up the conversation with a picture of the future steps. So what's what's the what what does the path look like from the prototyping you're going to be setting up uh, in Bremen uh, towards actually landing on the moon? What what's sort of the timeline you're looking at, and and what do you envisage uh, moving forward? Well, the so for the German Aerospace Center, the timeline is is from today till 2030. 2030, we want to have a, a complete tested uh, system uh, and a space ready design that could then actually go into manufacturing. So, mm -hmm. so this is this is our timeline. This is nine years or eight years now. Um, that's let's say so for for a space agency, this is fast. <laughs> for for the private industry, it's slow. Uh, we, we're thinking about spin-offs as well uh, to 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 go into private. Uh, we we will see. We'll see. You you've been so, running to schedule so far, there. Right? It's pretty quick. You, you started in two thousand and eleven or something like that. You've already have you have a prototype uh, in Antarctica, and you've you've been running pretty quick. Yeah, By, for well, a researcher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a couple of startup companies in former times, so so perhaps that's that's where it comes from. I don't know. No, I I guess well, I, I was personally quite impressed when I saw so so it was originally your you you started the entire uh, Eden project, right? In 2011, something like this, and by 2000, what was it? 14, 15, 16, you actually had something designed on the ground, which is when 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 did when did you land in uh, Antarctica to start with with the uh, Eden module? No, well, well, uh, let's say it this way. It, it, uh, it ha so we started the. Uh, I started the the research group in two thousand eleven. That is correct. And then, relatively soon after that, we we met some some great people. Like first of all, former students of mine uh, joined the group, who were really enthusiastic and highly motivated. I learned uh, a lot of people from in on conferences. We had a very uh, we had a, the great luck to have a, a, a great person. Matt Bemsey from from Kennedy, not Kennedy, from the Canadian Space Agency, joining us uh, uh, in our team, and then we really we had a very nice group of, of highly motivated uh, uh, team members, and that was really like a, a no brainer. We just moved forward, and then we we had the big luck in 2014 to really win uh, 13 14 to win the uh, European uh, research contract on for the Eden ISS project. So that was really a, a help that, that helped us to push things because then we had suddenly funding, we could really do our project. And, and that was really the, the where we could go move forward, basically. 
So, so moving out from 20, so you, you want to have a, something, a system that's in place, ready, it's flight ready. You can put it the next day on the moon if, if there's the, the funding available and, and, and so forth. But what's your long-term dream? So, so let, let's say uh, you're on retirement day, what, what would you be proud to look back on? Or, or what, what's your dream for the, the big picture, the Mars picture? The Mars picture, the big Mars picture. Well, well, I, I have a project that I'm working on uh, right now. Is it, it's it's a habitat testing facility to actually test people in a closed environment, uh, and to to develop in this research facility technologies to to minimize the ecological footprint of humans in general. Uh, uh, for an extreme case. Uh, which you have on Moon and Mars, where where you really have to recycle everything, um, but uh, uh, to use this knowledge basically to transfer it to 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 here people here on Earth, because my my vision is, it's always like you know people always think um, uh, oh those astronauts going on 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 another planets uh, wow how great, well you have to have another mindset. You are already astronauts. We're already living on a foreign uh, planet uh, here, on Earth, here on Earth. This is just, we are just living here and we should actually not behave like we behave right now. We should actually live in habitats uh, or, or let's, say in a, in a, let's say in a closed loop society where we can basically recycle everything and then we can just leave all planet alone again. So, so we should already behave like astronauts. And I mean, all of us basically mm-hmm. here on, on Earth. And, 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 and to transfer this, this mindset in, into people's mind would be uh, um, quite a, a goal for myself. And, and, and that's what I would like to do with this new research facility where you can actually test new technologies. And I'm not talking about, let's say, how you treat your feces and, 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 and urine, but also like daily life things, like how is a dishwasher organized in the future? Or how do you clean your clothes in the future? How do you produce tools or repair things? Uh, why are you have to buy always those things uh, that go break down? Is there not another way to 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 repair things to make them more reliable so and more durable? You know, like using those type of research questions to actually improve everyday's life and to to minimize the ecological footprint of, of humans so that we are basically make ourselves independent of that present uh, planet that we are right now living on do you think that's the real value actually of going to mars that you're you're really going to be forced to right. to i mean of course it's exciting uh, sure. and, and it, it makes for good photos, having a plant that you can <laughs> on the, <laughs> yeah, with the red, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. but, no, no, but it, at the end of the day, while we're staying on earth, while we're here, we can destroy the place. We can burn it down and go. Well, we're already you know. doing it. We're already doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we already, in, in, we're already in the process of destroying it. And, uh, to be honest, I mean, uh, if, 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 if we're looking at the worst scenario for the next hundred years we might have to live in habitats perhaps even here on earth i mean we, we might have to go under the ground and have to some sort of closed loop uh, recycling system so we might have to we have, perhaps we have no choice to do so um so so yeah so 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 the scenario of uh, of having astronauts on moon and mars uh could give us a, let's say a playground or, or or a testing ground to actually test uh, a Pro or test technologies, procedures, 
how to have basically a zero uh, ecological footprint, like like nothing, basically. So, so that's what we should. That's that's one of the benefits of of human spaceflight. Do you think there's an economic picture as well? I mean, so obviously there's people like Elon Musk who are building the rockets and who are trying, you know, maybe you have some satellites that uh, deliver internet or something like this for the economic picture. But is there is there an... Is there an economic picture that you have where where you think you could m- make a self-sustained uh, base on, on Mars? Or do you think this is something that we're always going to be, uh, you know, it's just going to be a sink, um, an economic sink? Um, because, because at the moment you're getting uh, government funding and, and funding coming in to build your greenhouses. But uh, is your ultimate dream that that won't be necessary anymore? Is that built into the system? You mean by not necessary going private, or, or what, what I mean or, is 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 the is the whole idea eventually that you're going to be completely separate from any sort of you're you're autonomous. So so you have these closed loop systems that are completely autonomous. Ah. But not only that, uh, you're economically viable. You 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 actually are producing a product that um, sustains the colony and and so that you can grow and grow and actually have a real presence uh on mars mm-hmm. is that is do you have any ideas along these lines oh, oh, oh you mean like uh, if you're looking in the far future yeah for for moon or mars yeah this is example, the big dream at, picture this oh is, yeah oh yeah. oh that's that that is already written i mean uh, even though it's in the far future and if we really colonize mars uh, mars will be independent pretty soon after a couple of years uh, from earth uh, uh, this is already written. I mean, this is. I mean, look in the history books. Uh, uh, look at the United States. Uh, um, the, those were colonies. I mean, they got independent. It's pretty much with all the colonies. So, in general, as a general, colonies become independent after time. That's always like that. So, if there will be a colony on Mars, it's going to be independent from Earth, indefinitely. That's for sure. And your your bet is within our lifetimes. No, 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 that that I can't say. That's the, the that's the variable. That's the variable. I, I have no idea. Okay, I, I have no idea. Then let, let let me ask you then. Let let the so the the big question is, Elon Musk comes to you tomorrow, and he says, Daniel Schubert, I need someone to set up my my gardens on Mars. Would you take that first flight, even if it doesn't have a return ticket? Would you uh, Would you shoot off? Um, well, I would not shoot off for Mars, uh, that's for sure, but I would definitely design it for him and build it. Uh, uh, that I would do, but I will not go to Moon and Mars. Uh, no, no, I have my family here. I love Earth, to be honest, yeah? <laughs> but I would like to see something on Mars. <laughs> Escaped Sapiens.